Um, it's great to have you here with us. If you're here for the first time, I'd love to just extend an extra welcome to you. My name is Toby. I'm the vicar here. And uh, it's so exciting to see this church beginning to be full of people again. We've had 18 months of online. Uh, we're still doing online, which is fantastic. If you're watching at home, it's brilliant to have you with us. Uh, but it's amazing also to be able to gather together. And this is a really exciting moment for September. September's a kind of weird time. I don't know how you feel about September normally. For me, it's a mixture of super excitement about what's going to be new and being absolutely petrified because I'm unprepared. Does anyone else feel unprepared for September? Anyone? Help me out here. Okay, just a few people. And I don't know where, what position you're in today, whether you're excited about this time or absolutely petrified. Well, what I'd love to do is to look for the next three Sundays. We're going to do a sort of sermon series on rebuilding the walls. And we're going to be looking at this person of Nehemiah for the next three Sundays. And it's kind of a mixture of talking a little bit about our vision for uh, what we feel God's called us to as a church, as a congregation. So if you're new and checking out churches, it might give you a bit of a flavor for what uh, we feel particularly strongly about um, here at St. Nick's. But I hope this will be a little introduction to that. And uh, you may know about Nehemiah. He was a guy who was, his family were taken away from their home in Jerusalem, along with all the Jews, and they were taken to a place uh, in Babylon called uh, 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 Susa, which is one of the capitals in 586 BC. And can you imagine being taken away from your family, from your home, from everywhere that you were used to, and put into captivity for generations? That's what they had experienced for all that time. But just at this point, Nebuchadnezzar feels strongly that he should call others to help him to do something quite brave, to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. We hear it kicked off in verse uh, 3 of the passage that Andy just read to us earlier. Those who survived the exile are back in the province, are in great trouble and disgrace, the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. A city with no walls is not really a city at all. It's defenseless. They weren't there for decoration as they might be for today. These were for defensing, that are defending against those who would attack the city. The gates are burned with fire. There's no way of uh, closing the gates. So this was a picture of absolute desolation. The walls are broken down, the gates are burned. I wonder whether you feel over the last 18 months broken down. I certainly have had moments of feeling completely broken down. There's been moments in the last 18 months when I've wept, partly from exhaustion, partly from all the other things that have been going on, partly from loss. I wonder whether, like these gates you felt at various points burned, You've like hurt, been hurt in some way. You've lost something. None of us actually is untouched by what's happened. So I suppose the question is, as we begin to start or even restart this next season, how do we do it well? How do we respond? How do we begin to rebuild the walls? What does that look like for you? Maybe rebuilding your faith. Maybe you feel like your faith is hanging by a string. Maybe you are struggling in areas of relationship and work and purpose? How do we build and rebuild the walls of our faith and of our church? 
and of the city? Well, the answer we find in verse 4. This is what Nehemiah said. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. His answer was to pray. That would not have been my answer. If there is a job that needs doing, I want to do it. If the walls are broken, I want to fix them. If the, if the gates are burned, I want to mend them. I'm a fixer. That's kind of what I do. In fact, that's what I love to do, find solutions to problems. I feel like that's one of the gifts that God has given me. And I do that in the house. Even, you know, forget about wife and childcare. I need to fix a, a gate if it's broken. Or, you know, I need to do all these sort of things. Now, obviously, I do love my wife and I look after my kids. But the first reaction is always, let's fix this problem. I don't know if you're in one of those categories. You're a fixer. But actually, Nehemiah chooses not to fix the problem first, but to fix his attention on God first. It's kind of counterintuitive to most of us. He doesn't rush into action. He doesn't hail an Uber donkey to get to uh, Jerusalem to fix the problem. He doesn't uh, bring out a strategy document or do a needs assessment or a budget review. He chooses, first of all, to pray. Before you get planning, get praying. So as we begin to rebuild, I think the challenge for all of us, the challenge for myself is, will I begin this rebuilding process not with planning but with prayer? And you might be going, well, that's great, praying. I can't remember the last time I did any of that. You would be in very good company. I think very, it's been very difficult to pray during lockdown. You may have had the opposite experience. I know some people have said to me, for the first time in lockdown, I've begun to pray because I've had this opportunity. I've had so much more time. I haven't got my commute or whatever it is that's going on, which is fantastic. But I think most of us struggle with prayer. If I did a straw poll and said, who here is a great prayer? Anyone? Anyone? Yeah, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Yes, okay, we've got fantastic. We've got a couple of great prayers. But I think most of us would say, well, I'm, it's not my best thing. You know, I'm good at other things, uh, but it, you know, I'm not a great prayer. The great news is if you're not a great prayer, you don't need to be a great prayer. You can look for a great prayer, and there is a great prayer in this passage. You can copy it. Nehemiah's prayer is fantastic. It's a great model for prayer. You may be thinking, I don't really know where to start. Well, here's a little four tips for prayer from Nehemiah. I just want to pull out four things. It's a mnemonic, and it spells P-R-A-Y, pray. Hopefully, easy enough for us to remember. So the first thing is P. P is for pause. Pause. Verse 4, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed. Pause. Pause to mourn. Seems a strange thing to do, the first thing to do, to mourn. But Nehemiah's first response is to mourn what he has lost, what they have lost. They've lost their city, their homeland. They've lost so much. And actually, we have all lost something, haven't we, in the last 18 months? Maybe you've lost a loved one or you've lost your health, or you've lost your job, or maybe even lost a relationship. 
or of marriage, or maybe you've lost financial security, or lost a sense of purpose, or a dream, or lost something and you can't quite put your finger on what it is. All of us have lost something. And don't minimize that loss. It's very easy to think, well, I've lost a little bit, but other people have lost far more. Let's not focus on me. But actually, God has got enough space for all of our losses. The question is, what do we do with that loss? What will we do with the pain that we may have experienced in the last few months? Don't dismiss it. Don't minimize it. Do something with it. Take it to God. That's what Nehemiah does. He takes his loss and his pain, his mourning, and he brings it to God. Don't pretend that you're okay. It's okay not to be okay, but seek comfort in the arms of the Lord. And if you don't deal with the pain of the past, you'll be stuck in the past. It will repeat over and over again. Now, our culture is not very good at mourning, is it? We're not very good at expressing emotion. I went to a school where uh, quite a lot of money was invested in me repressing all my emotion for the rest of my life. And I've spent the rest of my life trying to undo that learning. How do I express my emotion? And it's not easy, is it? Uh, My wife is always frustrated with me that I can't verbalize what's actually going on. Often, she'll tell me what's going on before I even know. And yet, there's something quite powerful about understanding what is happening and expressing that to God. And there's a danger if we skip the morning, or at least if we try to escape it, that we fall into unhealthy patterns. Now, I'm sure many of us have fallen into patterns of huge TV consumption over the last 18 months. All the statistics suggest we have. Box sets. Anyone going to be watching Vigil tonight at 9 o'clock? That's a great one. Anyway, all of us have have got these different things that we've loved to do, but there are dangerous patterns that we can fall into because of the pain we're experiencing. We go somewhere for comfort, comfort food, comfort TV, which is all fine, but actually after a while, these things, when we felt we were the master of them, become the master of us. Drink, very obviously. Drugs, very obviously. Gambling, porn, sex. The things that we think we're in control of can quite easily dominate our lives. The place that we go to for comfort can end up being the opposite of comfort. So what do we do if we're stuck in that position? If you're stuck in that position, well, I want to tell you today, there is great news. Because if you will open yourself up to God, if you will tell him about what's going on, your struggles, your problems. He's there to meet you, to help you, and to rescue you out of that position. So don't run from it. Express your reality, the whole of yourself to God. That's what Nehemiah does. He pauses to mourn, and it may be that there are things that are going on in your life that actually just prayer is not enough. You need to talk to someone. Can I encourage you? Be brave. The hardest word to say is help. But be brave. Talk to someone. Talk to someone here. Come and talk to me afterwards if there's something you're struggling with. Come and talk to one on the team. Maybe there's someone who could help. So pause to mourn. But also, the second thing he does is he pauses to fast. Now, there's a bit of a fad at the moment. I hear, and you can tell that I've not been listening to this advice, is to do intermittent fasting to lose weight. Now, We're not talking about that kind of fasting. 
Fasting, biblically, is not about dieting or weight loss. It's about reconnection with God. Joel chapter 2, verse 12 says this, Turn to me with fasting, weeping, and mourning with all your heart. There's something about fasting, i.e. stopping doing something and then taking something else up that reconnects us in a very powerful way. But what we're not talking about is the thing we're stopping. There's no good just trying to stop something with your own willpower. It's all about replacement. You need to find something else to do. So what fasting is about, for example, if you decided this week, here's a little challenge, I'm going to miss one meal, and with those 30 minutes that I normally would have spent, or 15 or 5, however long you spend having your lunch, I'm going to pray instead. Now, the aim of that is not about the lunch, it's about God. It's about refocusing your attention on him. But maybe it's not a meal. Maybe it's your phone. Maybe you could say, actually, I'm going to spend three hours with my... Apparently, there is an off button. I don't know if you know that. On your phone. You can turn your phone off. Try doing that for a couple of hours. Every time you find yourself reaching for your pocket, pray instead. Fasting is a little bit like pressing the factory reset button on your life, on your spiritual life. Say, Lord, I'm just going to give you this time. I want to refocus on you. Now, some of us are terrible at praying on our own. All we can end up thinking about is daydreaming. I don't know if you have that problem. Maybe you need to get with a friend to pray. Maybe you need to pray with the church. Tuesday morning, come along and pray with us. Some people find it really hard to pray in groups. Uh, So find some time on your own. Where can you prioritize in all that's going on? Prayer. So pause. P. Pause to mourn. Pause to fast. R. R is for refocus. Verse 5, this is what Nehemiah prays. If you want to learn how to pray, here's a great prayer. O Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love. Refocus on the character of God. You know, who who you think you're talking to will dictate how you talk to them. If you, ever get, if you ever get a phone call from a number you don't recognize, I don't know if you answer it or not answer it. At the moment, I'm, I'm not really answering it. But now and again, my curiosity gets the better of me, and I answer it, and I want to find out who this person is. Now, if this happens to be a long-lost friend who I haven't spoken to for years, my reaction is going to be very different to if it's someone trying to sell me insurance. I will not have the same response because of the person who's on the other end. Whoever you picture is at the other end of that call will dictate how you speak to them. How you picture God will dictate how you pray and whether you pray. The picture we have here of God, first of all, God of heaven, the great and awesome God. Jesus says, teaches his disciples to pray. He says something similar. He says, uh, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. In other words, you are fantastic. You're immense. You're awesome. We're talking about the creator of this entire cosmos. When we talk to God, that's who we're talking about. Not someone, we're not just sort of doing self-therapeutic talking to ourselves. We're talking to the instigator of everything. And do you not think that he could do something about your prayer? Do you not think he could actually change something? That's who we're talking to. But not a distant deity who's not interested in your problems. No. He keeps his covenant of love. That's what Nehemiah says. He loves you, in other words. Jesus puts it like this. To say your father in heaven, father, Abba, intimacy, 
God wants to be intimate with you. He cares about you. He knows what you're struggling with. He knows your deepest pain and frustration. He knows your hopes and your dreams. And he absolutely loves you. And we get a picture from this. Uh, I, I, my, my son, Barney, is, um, is three and a half. And uh, he recently um, came up to me and he looked at me for a long time and he said, Daddy, you've got too much fizzle on your chin. I was like, what do you mean too much fizzle? What's fizzle? And he pointed at my stubble. I'd let, let the stubble go a little bit on holiday. He said, you've got too much fizzle on your chin. He said, Daddy, can I have fizzle? And I said, well, you can have fizzle when you're about 15, probably. And he said, I'm going to have fizzle when I'm four. So we'll see what happens, whether that actually emerges. Maybe he's got a lot of testosterone. Who knows? But for me, I came away, and I told Jill, it's a you know, funny story, but there was something about the intimacy. He just comes up to me and just starts poking my chin. You know, that's what we can do with God. He's our loving Father. We can come up to him. We can run up to him. We can point at his chin and talk about his fizzle. We can get so close and up in his face and tell him everything that's going on. That's the love of God we see here. Refocus on the God who is creator and sustainer of all things, but is your heavenly Father. A. A is for ask. Verse 11. This is what Nehemiah says. O Lord, be attentive to the prayer of your servant. Give your servant success today. In other words, Lord, listen, I'm talking to you. And then, interesting, give your servants success today. How often do you pray that prayer? Lord, give me success today. You know, some of us are, are right, rightly a bit nervous about that. You know, obviously it's all about me. We're not talking about sort of prosperity gospel here. This is a biblical prayer from Nehemiah. Why is he saying this? He's saying this because he believes that what he's been called to do is what God wants him to do. In other words, Jesus puts it like this. Say to your father, your kingdom come, your will be done, and give me my daily bread. In other words, I want to see your kingdom come. I want you to be in charge. I want things that you want to happen to happen. But in order to do my part, please give me success today in my endeavors So when we pray, ask with confidence. Don't hold back. No, Lord, if you're not too busy, uh, it would be a... But if you, I mean, if you are, it's fine. Don't worry about it. And, um, you know, it's okay. I won't take it personally if you don't do this. All these caveats we come to, you know, like we're groveling. So he's saying to us, what do you want? Tell me what you want. I'd love to hear it. Uh, a few years ago, just um, this might help those who are new to the church, we... Uh, as Hattie was saying, this church was planted three years ago. And before we met, this church had not been an active church congregation since the Second World War. So they'd closed the church after the Second World War, and it had become various things. It had become a brass rubbing center for a while. It was the tourist office for a bit. It was Bristol City Council archive for a while. Uh, it was a museum for a little bit. And during that time, I received this um, little... Uh, letter from someone called Leslie Coley, who runs a group called Intercessors for Bristol. 
And I just found this again. This is three years ago she sent me this letter. But it was just as we were about to open the church again for the first time in many years. And she wrote me this letter. She said, one Thursday evening at Intercessors for Bristol, a Canadian guy came and asked for prayer. He came and said that he felt the Lord was wanting St. Nicholas Church by Bristol Bridge to be open again as a church and that it would become a lively place once more. We prayed for him and his vision. However, we never saw or heard from him again. A bit disappointing, probably. After that, Pam and her prayer partner, Mavis, Pam and Mavis, I don't know how old they are, but Pam and Mavis, they were fantastic. And they said they went down to the church to pray for it, and they walked around it. They walked around this church building. They knocked on the door, and a man answered and said that the museum was closed. When they told him why they had come, he let them in, and they stayed for about an hour. In the building were three large paintings. There are three paintings behind this by Hogarth. They were told that to remove them from the building would cost millions, and for that reason, the church would never reopen as a church. Pam and Mavis then prayed that these paintings would be allowed to stay in the building when it became a church again. Pam and Mavis had a little inkling from a guy who came all the way from Canada to say, what about praying for that church that's shut? They didn't have to come around. They probably had much better things to do and going to have their tea or something. But they walked up here, and they walked around the building, and they started praying. And they took, didn't take no for an answer. That When they were told that it wasn't going to work because of the painting, they said, no, God can do that. Why don't it just come, become a church with a painting in it? Three years later, we here are the inheritors of Pam and Mavis's prayers. And you know what? There's nothing special about Pam and Mavis. They're just ordinary people, like you. Your prayers can make a difference like that. God hears your prayers. He wants you to ask him for things. What is it that you need at the moment from him? What are you longing for to see breakthrough in your life? Who are you praying for in your life that you'd long to see changed and healed? Ask One particular thing I'd love to encourage you to think about asking for is for your friends who don't know Jesus. Uh, We've put these little cards on your seats. I don't know if, maybe you could just grab this if you've sat on it or put it on the floor. Maybe just grab it and have a little look at it. It should be nearby. Now, um, we're starting a little campaign today called the 1102. It says 1102 on the front. That is based on Luke chapter 11, verse 2, which is the Lord's Prayer. And verse 2 says, May your kingdom come, may your will be done. This is a reminder for us. We're going to do this for the next month to pray for God's kingdom to come and for his will to be done. And what we particularly want to focus on is praying for those who we would love to know Jesus, who we would love to know that there is a God who cares about them, who actually is for them and with them. You know, wouldn't it, that's God's, you know, your kingdom come. Isn't there not a better prayer to pray that people would encounter the love of God? That's what we want to pray for. So 1102, for the next month, we're going to do a couple of things. If you turn your pack over on the other side, it says, who are you praying for? And on that card, I'd love you to think and pray about three people who you just love them to know about Jesus. Maybe it's a family member or a colleague or someone you met in the street or a barista in a cafe or anyone. And write those three names down. Then number two, set a daily alarm at 11.02. 
So we're all going to do this together as a church. We did it um, a couple of years ago. And it's great, and particularly fun in the morning service at 11.02, everyone's alarms is going off. But 11.02 in the morning, every single day, why don't you say, I'm just going to say a short prayer for those three friends. We'll all do it together, and then let's see what happens. And lastly, be open and expectant to see how God might use you. Ask. There's a challenge for you. So, P, pause. R, refocus. A, ask. And Y, last of all, yes. Yes. God's response to your prayer may well be yes. And that's what happened for Nehemiah. Having prayed, Nehemiah doesn't just sit there waiting for something to happen. He does something. This isn't people just do nothing. This isn't people just sitting around doing nothing. This is people getting active on the basis of the prayer they expect God to answer. You know, think of Moses at the Red Sea. He's surrounded by grumbling Israelites being pursued by angry Egyptians. And he says, God, help! And what does God say? Stretch out your staff across the water. I mean, he must have been thinking, what? Hello, there's a lot of people coming. Stretch out your stuff. Why on it? Okay, I'll stretch out my stuff. And as he does, the Lord parts the water. And I think that's a picture of what happens in prayer. God says to us, right, I'm going to do stuff, but you need to do something too. Why don't you step out in faith and trust me that I will provide? Uh, I got an email uh, this week from Tom Skidmore, who's a member of our congregation. And he said this, I would love your prayers as a team for me. I've just sent out a company-wide post inviting all my colleagues to try Alpha at work. Now that is stepping out, isn't it? Potentially embarrassing, but potentially hugely fruitful. We're praying with Tom. I wonder what, as we begin to pray, God might begin to stir in our hearts to do as well. The dreams that have lain dormant for a while, he begins to sort of energize again. The the friends who pop into our head as we're beginning to pray for. Who are you praying for to know Jesus? Maybe it's not just praying for them, but maybe there's a moment to invite them and say, would you want to come to Alpha? Would you want to come to church? Are you praying for a job at the moment? Or maybe take a step and send out a CV. Are you praying for healing for a friend? Maybe take a step and lay hands on them and pray for them. What's the ministry that you would love to grow in? Well, maybe it begins by trying it out. Maybe it's a spiritual gift that you thought, I'd love to have that spiritual gift. Well, maybe it begins by asking and then having a go. You know, as we pray, God says, absolutely, yes, let's do this together. Jesus says, ask and you will receive. It's pretty categorical, isn't it? Seek, and you will find. It's pretty definitive. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. There's not much wiggle room there. Jesus expects us to ask, and expects us to seek, and we can expect to see him to answer. So how do we begin to rebuild our faith, build our church, rebuild our city? Well, the model of Nehemiah at the beginning of this amazing book, which we're going to carry on looking at, is first of all to pray. Pause, 
refocus on the Lord, ask him for what you need, and expect him to say yes as we say yes to him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you as broken people, people who have, some of us, lost a huge amount, but all of us have lost something. And so, Lord, we verbalize that. We want to tell you that. We want to acknowledge that before you, and we ask for your comfort. You said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Lord, we look to you for your comfort. And Lord, we want to ask that you would help to rebuild our faith through prayer. Lord, none of us knows how to pray as we are, but the Holy Spirit will give us the words. Lord, we ask for your Holy Spirit to help us again to pray. Give us a new passion for prayer. Give us a new hunger for you. Give us a new desire to see your kingdom come and your will being done in our lives, in the lives of our friends, in this city and in this nation. In Jesus' name, amen.